Well, good morning. Oh, let's do it again, South. Good morning. Man, happy Labor Day weekend. I hope you're having a great holiday weekend. If you're here, you're likely one of the third of Americans who are not traveling this weekend. It's actually one of the largest travel weekends in the nation right now. Be grateful you're not in an airport from what I understand, right? Hey, we as a church, we gather in our regular corporate worship services. We gather in our groups. We do so to help each other hear the word, get better. Not better as the world necessarily means, but better in the fact that we get to become more and more as Jesus designed us to be. The scripture says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy who's wanting to bring destruction, but I came, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we have this audacious belief around Beltway Park that what Jesus says is true. That the intent Jesus has for our lives is that we should each be on a journey of taking next steps to grow more and more in the abundance, more and more in the way he designed us to live. And that's why starting next week, say next week, we are going on a journey called the restful life. It's actually a journey to embrace the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened. Are there two words that describe our nation any better than weary and burdened? The way people feel, the attitude of the heart. With all that's going on, people are weary and burdened, but he says, come to me and I will give you rest. But when we hear the word rest, we normally think break from normal life. Rest is a day off during the week. Rest is when I get to take a nap. Rest is when maybe I get to take a week of vacation and go somewhere. Rest is when you're a parent and somebody else is watching your kid. Rest is a break from the norm of life. But that's not what Jesus means. Next verse, take my yoke upon you. Do you know a yoke is a tool of work? So we don't rest from work, we work from rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. That's the way we normally live our lives. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. See, we are created to live differently. We're created not to live for God, but from God. We're not live, we don't live necessarily just to get a break from work. There's an attitude of the heart, a place of the mind where we work, we live, we love, we do all of life from a place of rest. And if that sounds strange to you right now, it's because it's a wholly different way of living life. A way of life that Jesus calls us to live. And we're gonna go on a journey and I can't encourage you strongly enough to participate totally in this journey. To do this, I want you to do four things, say four for eight weeks, say eight. Eight, I know it gets radical, but one, I want you to attend every service. Somehow, someway, we have a plus Thursday that starts off the weekend. We have five services at two locations on Sunday, and in a pinch, you can grab it online. Second, be part of a group. We grow best when community is part of our growth plan. In fact, I will tell you, you will never come anywhere close to the abundance Jesus has for your life unless other people are really involved in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a group, if you have people that you know of, friends that are in a group, invite yourself to their group. It really is okay. We just say, I wanna be part of the journey for eight weeks. Or inside your park news is a QR code. If you are over 50, ask your grandkids what a QR code is, they'll tell you. And then what you can do is use that QR code in your phone and you can sign up online and our groups team is working diligently to get everybody connected to groups this week. Number three, read a book entitled Called to Rain 
promise you it is a great book. A different kind of book, we need some different right now. If you don't have one in our foyers at both of our campuses, we have books that you can pick up. Don't worry, some of you have waited to make sure everybody gets a book. We have bought so many extra books, there's plenty for everybody. We get to send them back at the end so we aren't, aren't too worried about it. You go grab a book, grab as many books as you need. The books are $10 is what they cost us. We would love a $10 donation if you can do that. If that's keeping you from getting a book, get a book anyway. Because a lot of people are just buying two books when they buy one. They're paying $20 instead of 10. They're paying $50 instead of 10. And they're just making a way for everybody. We've done this for a lot of years. There'll be plenty of money for everybody to get a book. So grab a book, we want you to get one today. And some of you have been online looking for the audio book, because that's the way you do books. And you are finding there is no audio book for Call to Rain. We understand that, but there is a hack. There is a way to do almost anything today using the digital version on Amazon. There's a way you can have that book read to you through using the Alexa app. You go to the book table, we have instruction sheets there that you can get the hack and you don't have to read, you can listen to the book if that's what works for you, okay? Number four, invite a friend. God has put you where you are for a reason. He's put you in your family, he's put you in your workplace and there are people, listen to me, that are weary and burdened. It's another way of saying hopeless. We got hope. And so just invite a friend. You don't have to worry about whether they say yes or not. If they say there's no way I'm gonna come to a church service, invite them to attend the first time online. Hey, say just turn on online. Join in, see if they'll come with you the second week. There are invite cards in the chair back in front of you, something you can hand to them with all the service times on, all the options, man, we encourage you to take one of those and utilize them. Invite somebody to join you as we go on a journey to live a different kind of life, a restful life, a life where, believe it or not, we are standing strong against the schemes of the enemy, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And for you and I, to be able to stand strong against the enemy, we must be those who put on the entire armor of God. We must wield well the weapons. We must use the right tools, if I may, to stand strong. A few years ago, I'll never forget, my wife came up to me and asked me to do a, a little chore. She had this candle thingy. But it wasn't a candle as in the sense of it was made of wax and it had a wick and stuff like that. It was electronic. It used batteries and an LED light. And she said, I need the batteries changed out. So I looked at the back. It was one of those that had that little bitty screwdriver, you know, the kind of used for eyeglasses and stuff like that. I had a set of those. So I went and found the set of those. I opened up the back to change the battery. Please hear me. I did open it up. For accuracy of the story, I took the first step. I pulled the batteries out and made a discovery. That discovery was we did not have in the house the kind of battery batteries that took. We had AA batteries that required AAA batteries. So I told her, hey, you're going to have to get some other batteries. She went and got some other batteries. I failed then on the next step when she asked me to go ahead and replace the batteries. I didn't do it. I told her, like all guys do, I said, yeah, I'll get it done. I failed on that. She kind of mentioned it again. As she tells the story, she mentioned it more than two or three times. She mentioned it a handful of times, maybe up into the dozens. I think she's exaggerating, but anyway, it matters not. She did ask me to do it. I did not do it. Then one day it happened. I looked at my wife in the living room. She had a little candle thingy upside down, and she had a butter knife trying to open up her candle thingy. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer on a lot of things, but I knew the candle was in trouble I was in trouble, because she was getting really, really mad. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've got to stop her, because if she keeps going to work on that thing with the butter knife, we're never going to get it open. 
but I've got to be real sensitive right now. And so I tried to find a nice tone. I don't know if you noticed, but my tone of voice is not necessarily a nice one. It's, I'm, we're we're going to get stuff done, but I'm not nice. Um, I'm going to get my nicest tone. I said, sweetie, hey, baby, darling, man, I hate to tell you that, but that's not going to work. All you're going to do is strip the head out of that, and you're going to run the whole thing. Communication experts tell us that 70 to 90% of all communication is nonverbal. My wife communicated 100% non-verbally in that moment. It was that moment that I was so glad that the force in Star Wars is just a figment of somebody's imagination because had it been real, she looked at me like she wanted to Darth Vader me in that moment. Man, she was just went like that, right? So I took that from her. I went and found the little bitty screwdriver, which to her credit, she would have never been able to find where I put it. I opened it up and I replaced the batteries inside of that. I mean, come on, you and I have all experienced what my wife had experienced. We've all tried to improvise. And we've tried to use something as a tool that wasn't designed for whatever we were trying to do. And we end up, it finds out, not only bringing failure to what we're trying to accomplish, it can also bring harm. We know that using the right tool in the right place at the right time is all the difference between success and failure. Well, over the course of the past several weeks, we have been unpacking nine critical verses in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. When you read these verses, they are full of imperatives, full of this motivation that we've got to do something. The Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. Say stand. That's God's intent for us, that he wants us to stand against the schemes of the devil, the same devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, the world we live in is at war. I know we can't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not real just because we can't see it. There is a seen world and an unseen world, and the war going on in the unseen world affects our day-to-day life. But we are not helpless. We are not hopeless in the reality of this war. In Jesus, we can be strong. In Jesus, we can stand victorious, but it doesn't just happen. We must be purposeful. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore. He keeps saying it. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, which means day-to-day life, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And in all circumstances, take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the apostle is using an image from his day. It's an image of a first century Roman soldier fully equipped to go to battle. And like a soldier, Paul says, there are attributes, characteristics like truth, like righteousness, like peace, that need to become more and more a part of our life, and they become more and more a part of our lives, we are equipped to be able to stand victorious when the evil one attacks. Now, most of the time when we talk about the armor of God, we stop right here. But notice, this last little piece of punctuation, it's not a mistake, it's not a period, but it's a comma, and that's actually true to the original language, indicating to us that verse 18 is part of what's preceded in the, fir- in the previous eight verses. So he says, take up the helmet of salvation in all circumstances and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. 
Now, I understand some of you are thinking real clearly here, hey, prayer isn't really connected to like one of the specific pieces of armor. It's not a helmet, it's not a shield, it's not a belt, it's not compared to a piece of armor. And that's because prayer is like the umbrella of the whole armor of God. It is the means by which we are equipped. If you say, I want to wear the whole armor of God, if I want it to become more and more a regular part of my daily life, what do I do? Pray at all times in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. If I may, prayer is the right tool to put on the armor of God. And if you try to use any other tool in any other way, it won't work. Notice, the apostle said what? We are to pray at all times. Now, before we do the standard church thing when it comes to prayer and we just start feeling guilty, and I think, I don't even pray that much right now, and I definitely don't come to praying at all times. we got to realize that the Apostle Paul is using a literary technique called hyperbole. Do you remember hyperbole from your language arts class? Or if you're old like me, we didn't call it language arts, we called it English. Hyperbole is an exaggerative statement to make a point. It's an overstatement trying to drive home a reality, it's a figure of speech, it's not meant to be taken literally. Parents use it all the time. There is a classic hyperbole used by parents that have been passed on from generation from generation to generation. Every parent has used it. And they say it this way, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, right? My parents were really prone to hyperbole because they said a million times. What you don't wanna do, young people, is when your parents say, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, you don't wanna go a thousand times, like literally, because all that's going to do is get you a whack real quick or something going on in life, right? You understand that's hyperbole in life and exaggeration. So what Paul isn't telling us is to abandon all of life. He's not saying you don't need to work. He's not saying you need to abandon your marriage. He's not saying to quit school and do nothing else in our lives but pray. But he is trying to make a point. He's using hyperbole to implore us that if you want to be strong in the Lord, if you want to live victorious in the day of evil, then what you have to do is make prayer a regular off part of your regular day-to-day life. And you might say, why? Because we're in a battle. We have an enemy who is scheming against us right now who wants nothing more than to rob glory from God by trying to bring harm to those whom God loves. You and I, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We must do whatever it takes to be strong in the Lord to put on the full armor of God. We do this by what? Praying. At all times, in the spirit with all kinds of prayer. So my encouragement, if we're gonna pray at all times, ideas, one, have a regular time and place set aside to meet with God. The scripture says of Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It doesn't say he did it every day. It says often, maybe sometimes it was more than once a day. Other times maybe he skipped a day or two. I have a theory, you can do with my theory whatever you want. My theory is if Jesus needed to pull away from the noise, to pull away from the crowds, to pull away from the activities, to pull away from the media, to pull away from all the stuff. If he needed to do that and get with God to pray, my theory is that we are gonna have to do it too. Or we're not gonna have what Jesus had. I'm not talking about getting a a legalistic and getting this thing called a quiet time where we just dutifully go through a quick reading of Bible, we spout off a list of prayers and things like that. I'm not talking about that, but we don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater, another hyperbole, right? Maybe we do need a place where we can often withdraw with God and pray. And what I've discovered is this. If there's something important in life that needs to happen, I have to plan it or it doesn't happen. 
Important is rarely urgent. That's worth your time right there. Important is rarely urgent. And we find ourselves responding to the urgent all the time. But here's what happens is when you neglect what is important, you end up having more and more that's urgent in your life. And it's too late at that point. For me personally, the time I often withdraw, first thing in the morning. It's just a natural time for me. It's not the only time to do it. It just sets the pace for the rest of my day. And when I'm in that private place, what I often do is I pray the Bible instead of just reading the Bible. See, I have a system by which I'm regularly reading through various parts of the Bible all the time. I'm a big believer in systems because if you don't have a system, you're gonna skip parts of the Bible. And I'm gonna challenge that God can speak to us even in the parts of the Bible we most struggle with. My example, I was once reading in the prophet Isaiah. No one chooses to read the prophet Isaiah on their own. You only do it if you have a, a system. I'm reading the prophet Isaiah. I'm in chapter 39. It talks about a king named Hezekiah who's getting to the end, year, to the, uh, end, towards the end of his life. I begin to think. I'm getting towards the end of my life, getting a little long in the tooth, if you know what I mean. So I'm paying attention. Isaiah 39 talks about a diplomatic visit by an emerging nation called Babylon. And Hezekiah invited Babylon to come and see all the things God had done in Judah. The prophet Isaiah, whom, I, uh, whom Hezekiah trusts, hears about that, goes to Hezekiah and says, did you really invite these people in? And Hezekiah goes, well, absolutely. It was an act of pride on Hezekiah's part. And Isaiah said, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, so we're talking about his kids and his grandkids, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs. They will become slaves in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, if you're Hezekiah, a godly man, what would you expect him to do right then? Would you not expect him to be broken and say, Isaiah, pray, tell me something the Lord wants me to do so that we can undo this. I do not want this to be. But Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. He said, how could he say that? For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. A man who had walked with the Lord for decades had led a whole nation of people got sidetracked. The schemes of the enemy got in. If you think I've been walking with the Lord for decades and no longer prone to the schemes of the enemy, take heed. Those of us who think we stand, we fall. The enemy will not quit just because you've been walking with the Lord for four decades. And Isaiah tells Hezekiah, you've gotten off. Hezekiah invited hell into his house. I don't use that word hell merely for effect. I've read the last book of the Bible, Revelation, when it talks about the forces of Hades, the forces of Satan, it refers to them as Babylon the Great. A reference back to this very nation that Isaiah and Hezekiah were dealing with. But Hezekiah didn't care. He got to this place where he would in essence say to hell with the next generation as long as things are okay for me and mine. And I promise you, I stopped right there because I was praying through this. And I knew the situation of my life that I was getting into the latter part of my life. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, I don't want this true of my life. I don't want this true in our church. What do we need to do that we can give the next generations that follow us the best chance of kingdom success? Because there are things that you still want to do in our world. I want to see my kids raised up in your ways. I want to see my grandkids know you deeply and intimately. And I know there are parents and grandparents among us who long for the same thing right now. And because I was praying the Bible, and not just reading and asking the Lord to speak to me. 
things begin to change. We started bringing young people around all the time. Like we have young leaders that preach all the time, and they're great communicators. Because someday I ain't going to be here. I love you guys, but I ain't doing this forever. I don't feel like I'm supposed to do it forever. There's always a passing off. There's Elijah's handing to Elisha's. Do you know that the priest, when they served in the temple, you know how old they were when they got to quit serving? 50. And they got behind the younger priest who then began to serve in the, in the temple. You're only going to read that, by the way, if you read in Leviticus. And you got to pray it. And the Lord began to stir me, man. That's why we have high school students that are helping give leadership to our middle school students. That's why we bring younger people onto our staff. And we raise them up and we send them off into their destiny. See, by the grace of God, we will not say to hell with the next generation as long as things go well for us. We are going to empower, listen to me, we are going to raise up a next generation because it may be the next generation that helps usher in the return of Jesus Christ. We're going to do whatever it takes for however long it takes for that to happen. Listen to me. Pray the Bible. You read the Bible, you'll pray, you'll be surprised every time God will speak. You say, well, David, that was a few years ago. I can tell you what he spoke to me this morning as I was praying through the Bible, what he spoke to me yesterday. It's not always as grand and significant, but he is always speaking. Another way you can pray at all times is just be quiet and listen. We are a culture in love with noise. So when we pray, we think there has to be noise. Have you discovered yet God's not noisy when you pray? And so we start filling the time with our words. But the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. So at the risk of being a little abrupt, maybe we need to shut up some and just listen. Maybe for a few minutes. Maybe for a few hours. Do you know there are actually retreat centers you can go and no one says a word for days? I have not made it to one of those retreat centers yet. But you know what? It might not be a bad idea. Another thing you can do is you can write down your prayers. I don't do this. this. I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. But you know what? It might work for you. I know a lot of people who said this is key for their life. It's good for you. Write it down. Use that tool. Another thing you can do, throw up short prayers throughout the day. I can say with integrity that the best days of my existence are the days when I regularly invite God into everything I'm doing. I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but I have a tendency when I go into meetings, I like to talk and hear myself talk. And I go into meetings and when I pray, Lord, I need to be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. James chapter one, give me grace to do that. I do those meetings a lot better. When I go through the process of preparing a message, if throughout the preparation process I stop and pray and ask God for a revelation, I know some of you are thinking, dude, why don't you do that all the time? I don't know. Why don't you pray all the time either? We're all struggling with it, okay? I can get most going through life just like you can and wanting to accomplish stuff. The revelation is a lot better when I stop and pray. If I'm praying throughout the day, just throwing up short prayers, I see temptation quicker. I see the way of escape. No temptation has seized you, the scripture says, except that which is common to man. And God will provide for you a means of escape. There's always a way to get out of temptation. Always. If I'm prayerful, I am quicker to see that. Prayer is the right tool. Prayer is the only tool to put on the whole armor of God. Prayer that happens at all times. Say all times. All times. 
Notice the scripture. Praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds. Say all kinds. All kinds of prayers. We are to be those who are praying at all times with all kinds of prayer. I believe when the apostle is writing this, he can't help but be thinking of the book of Psalms. A lot of Jesus followers, you ask them their favorite book of the Bible, they say Psalms. And the reason we say Psalms is it's so honest. It's so real to the human condition. It's a book of prayer. And what's interesting is it's all kinds of prayers. There are Psalms of intercession, which is what most of us think about when we think about prayer. Asking God to move, asking God to work. And that's true. But there are also Psalms of thanksgiving. There are also Psalms of praise. So when Paul said to another church, rejoice always, hyperbole. Pray without ceasing, hyperbole. By the way, this idea of praying without ceasing, this without ceasing, in the original language, it's the image of having a hacking cough. We in West Texas know all about hacking coughs, don't we? Right? When you have a hacking cough, are you coughing literally every second of the day? No. Feels like it, but it's happening all the time. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is actually referencing here the book of Psalms. So in the midst of all the ways we pray, make sure this, make sure thanksgiving is a regular kind of prayer in your life. Come on, let's be honest. We have a culture that tells us all the time to look at what's wrong to see the world and see what we don't have, to see and focus on all that is wrong in life. And it primarily happens through this thing called media. We are inundated with media, and media trains us in our mind to be discontent. Think about social media. Social media has taken the highlights of other people's lives, and we compare our regular daily life to their highlights. Not only do we compare our highlights, we compare what is fake in their life. I mean, do you realize when people like show off their physical body, they're doing things to make their body look good. Like they're sticking their backside out this way, they're sticking their hip this way, their hand up this way. They stretching it all out so it doesn't look like you got one of these, right? And then we compare our body to their body and they'll take like a thousand pictures of those, they'll pick the best one and then they'll Photoshop it and say, here's me. And we think, I don't look like that. No one does. They post pictures of their vacation. They post pictures of this grandiose trip and oftentimes we're making that stuff up. And the whole time we're comparing our day-to-day life with their highlights and it's creating a discontent. And then you move on to advertising. Thousands of messages a day. Some estimate up to 20,000 commercial stimuli a day to the average American. And they're all telling you, look at what you don't have. Look at what you don't have, you need it. Not only can you want it, you need it. I'm not against getting some stuff. But what they're trying to sell us is not real. I'll never forget, there was an automobile commercial. And there was all this noise going on. And this person got into this particular kind of automobile, all this noise happened and they shut the door and silence, peace. I thought that's some kind of car. He can give you peace in the middle of a chaotic world. I would hypothesize that you could buy that car, and one, you can shut the door and you'll still hear outside noise, and second, it will bring you not an ounce of peace. And then when you are 36 months into the 84 months of payments, you have just the opposite of peace, right? But that's what advertising does. And then you go to the world of news. Oh, news. Shock and anger, shock and anger. 
We look at news and we think that news is divided up into two ideologies, the extreme left, the extreme right, however you want to do it. I'm going to tell you news has one ideology in common. It's called money. And all they're trying to do is sell advertising. And they use shock to make sure we get to the next commercial. They use shock to make sure we click on the headline. Have you ever clicked a headline that was very extreme and you read the article and the article wasn't anywhere close to the extreme of the headline? But they got you to click. And that click is a sale. And you take the social media, you take the advertising, you take the news, you take all that kind of stuff, and the world feels overwhelming. If I may, it's weary. It's burdensome. And we feel helpless. And we feel hopeless. We feel depressed. And we feel angry. Now, please hear me. I'm not going to tell you the world doesn't need things to happen in it to make it better. When we do with that, we pray at all times. But listen to me. It's not all bad. God is at work. God has been working in the days gone by. He is working today. God is at work in our lives. Example, how many of you grateful for some rain in the big country this past week? Somebody say thank you to God for that right now. See, we need to be given praise. Some of you be saying, well, we need more rain. Yeah, pray for it. But let's give thanks for what is. We need to be a people of gratitude. We need to be people who say thanks for what God has done. Because I'm telling you, I was brought out of the kingdom of darkness. I've been put into the kingdom of light. I was without hope, and now I have hope. I was apart from God, now I am close to God. I can be his friend, I can be his follower, I can be his child. I can live from the resources of heaven itself. God has done that. He is working today, and he is going to work. Make sure Thanksgiving, if you're not throwing up Thanksgiving each and every day, you're missing out on an opportunity to be strong in the Lord. In addition, make sure rejoicing is a regular kind of prayer. And in scripture, rejoicing is almost always connected to, believe it or not, singing. And I know some of you right now saying, don't go there where I think you're going. Absolutely, you need to go there. You need to sing. And the reason is God designed music, worship, to push something deep into our spirit. It's why for centuries, churches have gathered together in corporate singing. Together. To be very honest, this book we love in the Bible called the Book of Psalms, it's actually more than just a book of prayer. It's actually a worship book. In the ancient language, the word psalm actually means melody of praise. The psalms were sung, not just said. Songs of worship, listen to me, when they come from the heart, they're prayer. It's why we prioritize worship here every weekend. Some of you get tired of it and think, is it ever going to change? No, it's not. We're going to keep doing it. It's why we encourage each of us not just to observe, but to engage. I understand, guys, I am not a singer, naturally. I had to train myself to sing. I'm not even good at it. And the church where I was saved, they didn't have any instruments whatsoever. They just used their vocals, which was awesome. If you can sing, I can't sing. And so everybody around me could hear me not be able to sing. I didn't like that, so guess what I didn't do? I didn't sing until I didn't care what the people around me thought. And then I sang kind of quietly. And then I discovered we could have instruments, and I thought, praise God. And we'll just turn them up just a little bit. And I'll just sing with everything I got. Now I'm to the point I really don't care what you think. If you stand around me, you're going to hear me sing, and you're going to say, yeah, he's bad. I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for him, and I'm singing for me. And if I sing for him and I sing for me, it will bless you whether I'm any good or not. Because really what I want you to do is not be impressed with my vocals. I want you to be drawn closer to the Lord. 
And that's what song, I'm praying to the Lord. So I encourage you, engage. But don't just do it here. You've got this thing called a phone. It does lots of things. It will play music. And it will play what you tell it to play. So pick some of the songs that will help you give prayer. It doesn't have to be the totality of it. You can pick different kind of worship songs. You can pick worship. We actually have all the songs we sing at Beltway. They are on Spotify. They are on Apple Music. You can just subscribe to that, and you can play those, those words. Just go off by yourself. Then you don't have to worry about it if anybody's hearing you. And then you just sing praises to God. You give prayer to him. It's a kind of prayer that you can give to him. When you're in the car, turn off talk radio. Turn off ESPN. Turn off those podcasts, unless it's my sermon. You need to listen to that. But other than that, people say it only takes us five to eight minutes to get anywhere in the big country. That's one to two worship songs. So some, just put on your worship songs and begin to worship. My only encouragement don't ask Jesus to take the wheel when you're doing that, okay? Keep your hands on the wheel, your eyes forward, and you give praise to God. Are you hearing me? If it feels like to you this morning that you're saying, David, you just threw out a lot of random ideas about prayer. I did. Because that's the nature of the text. Praying in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer. Hear me, some of us don't pray because we've narrowed prayer down to a certain time period that I pray. If I miss that, I don't pray. Or we've narrowed it down to a certain kind of prayer. And the apostle, inspired by the Spirit, implores us, pray at all times. Find different times that you can pray. Find various ways you can pray and get radical and actually pray. We must be a people who engage us. Why? Because it makes us strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It enables us to take up the whole armor of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. Prayer is the right tool. It is the only tool by which you will be able to put on the armor of God so that we can stand strong against the enemy and take steps into a life that is abundant. So let's do this South Campus, North Campus online. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And I just want you to quickly ask the Father how this is supposed to apply to your life. It's real simple. What step are you gonna take? It doesn't have to be the totality of what you're ever gonna do in prayer, but there's a step you're supposed to take. You may have thought of other ways, times, and stuff that you can pray. Absolutely. I just threw out some. But just dare say, Spirit of God, give me grace. I want to be said of my life that I am a man that prays in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer and supplication. I want to be a woman who prays in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer and supplication. What's a step you can take? Come on. What's something you can do on Tuesday? What's a step you can take on Thursday? Whatever the Spirit of God shows you, you say yes. And here in a moment, we have left ourselves some time to pray together through songs of worship. I implore you, engage. Maybe for the first time ever, you actually vocalize some songs. I want you to just vocalize them. I want you to pay attention to what you're saying. Don't just sing them, pray them. Declare them. And you will be amazed at what the Lord does through your life. I strongly encourage you, take advantage of the time. Some of you think, hey, the sermon is finished. I can step out of here and get out a little bit early. And you're gonna be missing the most, some of the most important things we do together.
I implore you, don't, don't leave. And please, please, if you have kids in our kids' ministry, don't go get your kids. When you get your kid, the rest of the kids in there think the time's over and they quit engaging. We've got serve team that are giving of the totality of their heart to partner with you for the kingdom of God and the sake of your kid. Give them all this time. They've got a plan that God has given them. Let them utilize this plan. Let's take advantage of the moments. Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. Forgive us when we have made light of it. That we can just say our Father in heaven and you, the creator of everything, turn an ear towards us. That is amazing. Forgive us we've made it a routine or an act that we feel like we have to do to be spiritual and we've missed the opportunity to commune with you, change our hearts. Let us be those who draw near to you. We know we don't deserve it, but because of Jesus, we can come near. We know it's grace that enables us to draw near to you. And so we don't come in our own name. We don't come by our own merit. We come in the name of Jesus every time we pray. And every word we say, we say because of Jesus and in his name I pray. And we bring these things to you. Let us be a people who, Father, could be said of us. Give us courage, give us grace, ability to pray at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and supplications. Make that more true of us this week than ever. And may you find pleasure in the way we give you worship together in these next moments in Jesus' name. Amen. South Campus, online family, let's stand. Let's give some worship to our God together today.